I decided to make tonight a bit more of a text study. And so if you look at the front of your Shabbat handout, you may have noticed that there are two texts in Hebrew and English that are the start of the start of this trash, the start of this teaching. You may also notice that they look very similar. So I'm going to read them and follow, follow along with me. First from Exodus 20. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female slave or his ox or his ass or anything that is your neighbor, neighbor's. And then again in Deuteronomy 5, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not crave your neighbor's house or his field or his male or female slave or his ox or his ass or anything that is your neighbor's. So there are two versions of the Ten Commandments in the Torah. There is the original moment of revelation on Mount Sinai, which is Exodus 20. And then there is the repetition or recalling of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, which is this week's Torah portion, Ve'et Hanan. And while they're pretty much exactly the same between Exodus and Deuteronomy, there are some small differences between the two versions, which not surprisingly Jewish tradition decides to hone in on. And the rabbis really try to figure out what do these differences mean? Why, when Moses retold the story to the people who weren't there as one of the few still living witnesses, what it was like to be on Mount Sinai and see these Ten Commandments, and in his case, recite these Ten Commandments to the Jewish people, why does he make some small, some small changes? So, so you guys give me a sense. If you were a rabbinic scholar looking at these two texts, what are the two... What, what are the differences between the two versions that you notice just upon first reading? Oh, good, good, right? So first I heard crave versus covet, right? That in the first one, tachmod, the verb to covet is used twice, both the same verb for both, um, both times. But in Deuteronomy 5, you have velo tachmod eshet re'echa, you should not covet your neighbor's wife. But then it says, And you should not crave the rest of the rest of the things in that clause. So that's a, a very important thing. And then Ben or someone, I heard a second thing. Right? That you have this addition of the field. And that also they're not exactly in the same order. <laughs> oh, right, which one do you want? Nice, nice. So, so there's a sense we often think that lists come as priorities. So whatever comes first must be more important, right? That's the internal assumption there, which is that maybe, you know, the how, who knows? Maybe Moses just retold it in a different way. It is oral tradition. Or maybe there is something in that, something in that difference. So definitely, so just to name it again, the order of the nouns 
and the fact that a new verb is introduced in the Deuteronomy section, and that field is also introduced. So the rabbinic commentaries are particularly fascinated with this question of the verb, titaveh, to crave. And they ask, are the two verbs synonymous? Are they both about internal states of wanting to covet and to crave? Or are there two different aspects of the prohibition? Is the commandment actually talking about two different things? And I think the fundamental question that I came away with from reading all the sources is, it, is coveting an attitude or an action? Is the commandment saying that we shouldn't have the feeling of coveting or being jealous of our neighbor's things or people? Or is it an action? Is there actually something you actually do when you covet or crave something, right? Is the commandment preventing us from wishing that we had a nicer car or a nicer house? Is it wanting us to have a zen-like sense that we are satisfied with everything that we currently possess? Or is it only prohibiting us from actually acting on that wish, right? This kind of difference between the feeling and the action. On the one hand, this commandment is the final commandment. It's the 10th commandment, and it comes after a long list of prohibitions against murder, adultery, theft, and bearing false witness. So some of the commentators argue that if you look at the context, they're all actions. So this must be an action too. God is prohibiting us from seizing things that we want. But then the question becomes, well, what's the difference between stealing something and seizing something that you want, right? If I want your TV and I take it, isn't that the same as, as stealing? And didn't we already have a commandment earlier in the list that prevents stealing? So what's the difference or what's the kind of subtlety as to why we need a 10th commandment? Medieval scholar Maimonides argues, anyone who covets his neighbor's servant, maid servant house and utensils, or any other article that he can purchase from him and pressures him through friends, and implores him until he acquires it, transgresses a negative commandment, even though he pays good money for it. He does not transgress the prohibition until he acquires it. So in other words, I think Maimonides is saying that coveting is an action, but the difference between coveting something and stealing it is coercion. Even if someone technically closes the deal legally, he unfairly exerted pressure on the other party in an unethical way. So it's like a city that gives a construction deal to a company with the best bid, but we later discovered that the company was also paying off the government official that made the decision as to what the best bid was, right? They bought it legally, but they basically were stealing. So then on the other hand, as often happens with these medieval scholars, Ibn Ezra argues that coveting is just an attitude Quote, the main purpose of the commandment is to straighten the heart. So Ibn Ezra wants us to think that the internal state of wanting itself is dangerous. That the Torah cares more about just what we do. It wants us to live moral inner lives. And modern Bible scholar John Durham wrote, coveting is the attitude that makes every other action on that list possible. It's like a summary commandment. When we desire something or someone that belongs to someone else, we often steal, cheat, and kill. This seems to be the opinion of all the more modern readings of the commandment. The covenant is an attitude, an internal emotion 
that can be the most dangerous of all of them. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel writes, nothing is as hard to suppress as the will to be a slave to one's own pettiness. Gallantly, ceaselessly, quietly, man must fight for inner liberty. Inner liberty depends upon being exempt from domination of things as well as from domination of people. There are many who have acquired a high degree of political and social liberty, but only a very few who are not enslaved to things. And this is our constant problem, how to live with people and remain free, how to live with things and remain independent. In a moment of eternity, while the taste of redemption was still fresh to the former slaves, the people of Israel were given the Ten Commandments. In its beginning, the Decalogue deals with the liberty of man. The first word, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, reminds us that outer liberty was given to us by God. But then the tenth word, you shall not covet, reminds us that we ourselves must achieve our internal inner liberty. This Torah study was inspired by a rabbi in New York, Rabbi Shai Held, who teaches at Mahon Hadar, a progressive egalitarian yeshiva on the Upper West Side. And he adds one other layer to this text study, which is that there's a socio-political element to coveting. He says that usually coveting is more of a temptation of the rich and powerful than the poor and defenseless. That the commandment is about attacking the avarice of the powerful. You shall not covet and therefore take your fellow Israelite share of their rights to give, live a good life. But the more I thought about it, I actually could see the reverse. If we tell others to just be satisfied with what they have and not to strive for more, that seems to be a message that the powerful would give to the disempowered to keep them quiet and satisfied. I don't think there's an easy answer to either, but it's food for thought on this Shabbat about your own internal relationship to coveting and craving. I mean, is it even possible to never, ever covet or crave someone else's stuff or even someone else's spouse or partner? I don't know, but it's certainly an expectation that we don't act upon those cravings or that need to covet. Having said that, I feel like what the, the overlap is really teaching us is that it's, it's, a, it's a game of both, right? For sure, you shouldn't act upon it, but one of the ways in which you can do the internal work to not act upon it is to really examine your relationship to your things and to the people around you and their things. How much do you need? How much are you constantly comparing yourself to others? How much is your relationship about objects and how you objectify other people a central part of what you're always thinking about? And if you start with thinking that it's about both coveting and craving, that it's about the feeling and the action, but you really start with the feeling and forgive yourself when it pops up, it ultimately will help you not act upon those feelings. The Ten Commandments are the fundamental building blocks of Jewish and arguably Western law. And they push us to act, ask, how can we live our lives according to these moral guidelines? And how can we ensure the liberty of others and also find, as Heschel says, our own inner liberty? Shabbat Shalom.